Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. And be sure to check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well, offering you a conservatarian perspective. I am thrilled to have on the line with me uh, David Kopel. He is an adjunct a law professor at DU as well as the research director at the Independence Institute. And uh, welcome, David. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And, and I'd like to talk with you about House Bill 191177, also known as the Red Flag Bill. You are probably one of the uh, most prolific experts in the country on Second Amendment issues. And this red flag bill, 1177, here in Colorado, I'm really concerned about it, David. Well, you're not the only one. So are lots of uh, counties and sheriffs. And we've seen some real proactive uh, stuff happen with that. There have been, I think, at least 20 counties that have said that they would be uh, either a sanctuary county for the Second Amendment, or that they are a county that will make sure that they support the Constitution. That's what Douglas County did. Uh, And, you know, I think one of the first things is, is the Second Amendment. We hear so much about that. Why is the Second Amendment so important? Well, uh, in, in the short term, it's the ability of people to be safe, to protect themselves, because uh, we don't have a police, you know, not everybody, uh, like high government officials and folks like Michael Bloomberg, who can pay for uh, retired police officers to be their security guards, uh, not everybody can uh, delegate their, uh, their safety. Most people have to be responsible for their own protection. And uh, a firearm in, in the home or lawfully carried uh, is a crucial part of, of self-defense and, and safety for many people. Well, and, and people can make different decisions on how they're going to do that. But I think that we have to agree that in order to be to go after your hopes and dreams, to thrive and prosper, you need to, first of all, feel safe and be safe. I was recently at a conference down at the Broadmoor, which, you know, is a a lovely, lovely place. And as I went back to my room, you know, I closed the door and I locked the door. And then I was thinking about all these different uh, conversations and narratives in America. It could be open borders or, you know, firearms, uh, whether or not people can protect themselves. And we want to be able to do that. And so some of these narratives would mean that you would keep the door wide open and that you would not have tools to protect yourself. And that is totally antithetical in a kind of a big level uh, conversation about, you know, what makes America, America. Well, there there are some people who disagree with that, though, and they they don't like that American part of America. Uh, they would prefer a much more top-down society in which the the means of force uh, are a government monopoly, and some people are allowed the privilege uh, of of having arms for sport, but uh, arms for protection are uh, viewed as, as disorderly in that kind of uh, viewpoint, which obviously has. Uh, a lot of support um, among some politicians. Well, I've read the red flag bill. I've read 1177. And, uh, you know, there, it's couching this as that if there is somebody that is really dangerous, uh, that in fact, that then this ERPO, this uh, em- emergency order would be issued and uh, that uh, law enforcement would come and demand all of the person's firearms. And, uh, you know, supposedly that would make everybody safer. I would 
propose to you that if a person is in you know that much of a danger to those around them instead of going to take quote-unquote firearms you need to extricate the person from that situation instead of taking the firearms and the other thing that's interesting david copel is that uh... 1177 only talks about firearms again if that person is such a danger you'd probably need to take the kitchen knives you need to take the jump rope you need to take the car uh... so this is uh... i think a real a grab, a, a, you know, going against the Second Amendment, but trying to make it look like it's because they care about people. Well, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't be quite as cynical as that. I, I've, um, I testified in the uh, U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee um, uh, last week, and they were having a hearing about a uh, proposed bill to give federal funding for states that adopt laws like this. And, and my point of view was that if this bills like this are carefully drafted, narrowly tailored, and fully protected due process, then they can be legitimate because what you talked about, about personal safety and and security being important to thrive is very true. And and on the gun issue, that means, first of all, making sure that the legitimate, responsible people uh, can choose to have arms for protection. And it also means uh, taking arms away uh, from people who have demonstrated uh, 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 an extreme danger uh, that they would misuse them. Well, I guess I am. I must be getting old and, and cynical, David, as we're we're talking about this. But I, I looked at. In fact, there was an article that was in Complete Colorado that I thought was was very telling. And uh, uh, the Boulder, or excuse me, the Broomfield City Council. There had been a resolution putting forward. Uh, which was a vote to say that they would support the red flag bill. It was defeated. And so in the article, it had some of the conversations and some of the testimony. And one of the things that kind of shocked me was the assistant police chief was quoted in the article as uh, saying when, when they asked him about it, you know, this could put law enforcement in some real danger. Because the way I read 1177 is uh, the person whose arms are going to be taken away, they may, may not even know that they've been accused. They've had no due process. And so there's a knock on the door demanding all of their weapons, which that might not go well. But um, what the police chief or the assistant police chief then said was, well, we would prefer to go and take the weapons when the person is at work. And I'm like, wait a minute. What, what kind of country are we living in if... You know, we go to work, we don't even know that we're accused of something, and that that police officers could come in and take your stuff. I mean, that I thought that was kind of wild. Oh, I, I'd agree with that, and I, I think that's one of the, the problems of why the current bill in the legislature is, is very defective and dangerous. And one of the things I pointed out in my uh, U.S. Senate testimony is that there are better models. Um, in uh, Vermont, for example... A, you can only have a gun confiscation order issued without notice to the individual, without their opportunity for them to appear and tell their side of the story. Um, if the petitioner for the order uh, proves that there is an extreme and imminent risk uh, from that individual, and under the Vermont system, a person who served with a gun confiscation order, which they, they might not have heard about before, uh, can be told about 
uh, has the option to basically they can give the guns to, to law enforcement immediately or they can give them to a gun store or to some other responsible third person who will secure the guns, keep them away from the individual. And that, that's a much safer system all around uh, for protecting law enforcement and, and protecting the public. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, in, we have just a few minutes left in this segment before we uh, go to the next segment. What do you think are the key things that everyday people need to know about this House Bill 191177, the red flag bill? Um, that it is a good idea, but a very bad implementation of it. It, it has some good features in it, like uh, it provides for appointed counsel uh, for people who are subject respondents to these confiscation orders. And that's a very positive step, but it's way too loose in who can petition for it. For example, in, in Indiana and Connecticut, the states that have had these laws the longest, uh, the petition for confiscation has to come from law enforcement. Here in Colorado, any almost a huge variety of people, former girlfriends, distant relatives, all kinds of people, you know, who might have a grudge because of some romantic breakup from a while ago or, or whatever, uh, can come in. And there's very little filters on that. They don't even have to appear in court. They can uh, uh, testify for the petition uh, by telephone. And then when the individual finally does get a hearing where they can present their own side, the accuser doesn't even have to appear in court to be subject to cross-examination. The, uh, the accuser can simply file an affidavit and then thereby immunize themselves from cross-examination. That, that's a travesty of, of fairness and due process. And we know that in states that have had these laws that about a third of them are erroneously issued. And I think Colorado is going to be even worse than that uh, because of the breadth of people who may have some grudge who want to uh, come in and do this. And that's why we need a, a fair law would have a civil remedy so that if a false and malicious politic petition is filed, then the victim would be able to, to sue and, and recover uh, money damages and, and attorney's fees. And that was in the version that was passed the, that passed the Colorado House, but it was taken out in, in the Senate committee because obviously the, uh, the Bloomberg lobby was uh, cracking down and saying the bill had too much due process in it, essentially. Really? They said too much due process in it? They did, that, that, that's my conjecture. Okay. Um, but I know that the bill that passed the House had a civil right of action for the falsely accused, and the bill that uh, came out of the Senate committee removed that. Wow. Okay. So what are Coloradoans, I mean, what can we do about this? Because, uh, I mean, it's probably going to be law. Um, it is, and lots of, uh, lots of counties and sheriffs have said they're not going to enforce it, which I can understand why they're doing that, because the way it's written is so skewed towards facilitating false accusations uh, and causing unnecessary confrontations. You know, Michael, Michael Bloomberg uh, tends to get his way. He, he, he's put $60 million into New Mexico alone last year. Uh, so they got a horrible bill that was passed, uh, similar to one of the bad bills uh, passed in Colorado in 2013. Um, you know, he, he has the gold makes the rules, and Michael Bloomberg's got the, and, and his fellow billionaires, uh, they have the gold and they're running the uh, state Democratic Party right now. Well, and I, I think that it's going to beg the question, why? It's, it's I, I don't really understand, you know, why 
that there's such a push and why these elites are really you know really trying to do this and and i don't quite understand that and that's probably the big question so what i would like to do uh, david copel is let's go to break when we come back i just want to ask if you have a an idea of why michael bloomberg is so adamant on uh, on these different um you know, like the red flag bill. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. I'm talking with Dave Kopel. He's an adjunct law professor at DU, as well as the director of research at the Independence Institute. He was back in Washington recently testifying about these different red flag bills. And so we will be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. Sign up for my emails. I will keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests and important events. And I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well, offering you a conservatarian perspective. And thrilled to have on the line with me David Kopel. He is an adjunct law professor at DU as well as the director of research at the Independence Institute. And we're talking about House Bill 1911-77, the red flag bill, which has created a, a big conversation here in Colorado. And in the last segment, David, you said that Michael Bloomberg put $60 million into New Mexico to pass something like this. First of all, how do you spend $60 million in New Mexico on an issue? I, I, I mean, that's a, a, a big amount of money. Well, he, he put the money into buying the, the state legislature, basically, uh, and, and spread it all around to Cantu uh, anti-gun candidates. Okay. And as you said, New Mexico is a small state, so $60 million, uh, can can make a big difference there. Well, it certainly can. Why? I mean, I think that's the thing that everyday people are saying. Why is this? The, there's this agenda by some of these, you know, radical progressive elites. Uh, and it's not just guns. I mean, you can take a look at all the different bills that are going through the Colorado State Legislature, and you can see an agenda. But but why on the Second Amendment? Why is Michael Bloomberg so adamant on this? Um. Well, I, I don't know for sure, but if you look at his behavior, uh, he views himself as much wiser and smarter uh, than than the little people, and he believes he has the duty, in fact, that, that it's God's plan for him uh, to crack down on people's behaviors uh, that he doesn't like, you know, having large sodas, uh, for example, <laughs> putting salt on your food. Uh, having a gun in your home for protection. Um, he's been adamantly opposed to all those things. He, he fought and uh, filed an amicus brief in the Heller case back in 2008, uh, trying to convince the court that individ, individual Americans have no Second Amendment rights at all. Now, of course, he's not a guy who would say you shouldn't have guns, or he, he doesn't apply that to himself. He's uh, surrounded by bodyguards, uh, New York's finest retired police officers who he hired at very generous salaries uh, who protect him. And believe me, those, those folks are not, uh, I doubt, limited uh, to the 10-round magazines with only seven rounds in the magazine uh, that he's tried to impose on on other people. But, you know, he's uh, he, he's better than us. Well, and that's really a, a theme that you hear. And and so this gets down to really basic foundational view of 
everyday individuals. I mean, it, it really gets down to the American idea. And the American idea is it's focused on the individual that they have, you know, these uh, rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that are given the, to them by God versus government. And, and you know, if everyday people have that opportunity to have government limited and to go after, you know, their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, you get this amazing country, this vibrant place where we have a vibrant middle class. And uh, people, I think, generally want to be live and let live. Uh, they prefer that government stay out of their lives. Although we see that sometimes it's like, Okay, stay out of my life, but I would like you to use government to get into somebody else's life, and that's what uh, Bloomberg is doing. But the other thing, David, that I don't understand is an elitist mentality. I just really don't understand it. But we see it so prevalent, uh, and I've seen it in government, that the rules apply to you know, the little people, but they don't need to apply to me. And that gets to the, el- the elites and the bourgeois, or the haves and the have-nots. And of course, that's what the or in a communist society, the inner, the inner party and the uh, the masses. Absolutely, and and the rules don't prov- uh, uh, don't apply to the the chosen, but the rules apply to everybody else. Which goes back to what you just said about Michael Bloomberg. He doesn't think that everyday people should be able to, you know, carry a weapon and and have you know the magazine of their choice, if you will. But he probably has people surrounding him that uh, have all those choices. I just don't understand that elite mentality. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, it's uh, you, you may not understand it, but it's or or like it, but it, it's something that's been going on, you know, throughout history. Uh there's people who uh sort of in the, in the words of uh Thomas Jefferson uh believed that they were born uh, booted and spurred to uh, ride the rest of us. I never heard that Thomas Jefferson quote, and that's it's it, it, it's his. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's one of his final letters about saying that that that's the difference between America and Europe is we're not ruled by the uh, booted and spurred folks. Although the, there are tendencies uh, these days in, in in that direction, but an important thing about what why Bloomberg is is often successful is he's able to dupe people. Uh, into supporting very radical things by describing them at the top line in a uh, innocuous way. To repeat, I'm, I'm in favor of laws that take guns away for a period of time from people who do pose an extreme risk, um, provided that those uh, the, the individual who's accused gets the full due process, a proper hearing, the opportunity to cross-examine hostile witnesses, all all the components of due process. So I'm in favor of these laws as a concept, but I'm against the extreme and dangerous and reckless uh, version that's being pushed in Colorado. But that that's where the Bloomberg uh, genius comes in, is they can get laws passed that people wouldn't support if they knew the details, but when you just describe them uh, in, in platitudes and generalities, uh, they are popular things. Well, and to that point, I am really recommending that people read this legislation. I think that for many years, I, I thought, oh, I'm leaving it up to those, uh, you know, those elected leaders and those bureaucrats. They're smarter than I am. And, and then after getting onto city council, I served there for four years, you know, and I read all my packets and I'm like, you know, we need to be reading this. Everyday people need to be reading this legislation. Most of these um, different uh, uh, bills are maybe, 
30 pages long at, at the most. And so we need to be able to read them so that when we have a conversation with somebody to say, you know, I've read the bill and this is why I think 1177 really is bad for Colorado and this is because it doesn't have due process uh, for individuals and uh, and in essence, if somebody is a real danger, I think they need to be extricated from the situation instead of their firearms because there's other weapons that they could use. But, you know, we may look at things differently, but let's have an intelligent conversation about this and read the bills. Right. And one one of the challenges in reading the bills, which I, I do recommend, if, if state legislators would start reading the bills, we'd uh, we already have some good progress. Um, some of the things that are most important in this bill are what's not there. The in Colorado law, we have strict controls on no knock raids after people have gotten killed uh, by improper no knock raids. So normally, a no knock, you have to go to the, the district attorney has to file a uh, warrant application in a court in order to do a no knock raid. But in this, that's eliminated. We have no controls at all on no knock raids. That that's an extremely dangerous situation and, and moves us more in a police state direction. Uh, well, and, and it, it it puts law enforcement in a really difficult situation, I think. And exactly, and and that's why so many law enforcement are saying we're not going to we're not going to put our deputies in harm's way. We're not going to put the public in harm's way, and we know that a third or more of these orders are going to be issued improperly uh, against innocent people. So we don't we don't want to get involved in that. They could, you know, it would be possible to write a much better bill that would have broad bipartisan support and lots of law enforcement buy-in. Um, but that that's not what Bloomberg wanted for Colorado. Okay. We only have a few minutes left, but I, I have to ask you, you are a law professor. I see great danger if we live in a state and in a country where laws are passed and then, you know, people end up not honoring that law because it's unconstitutional or whatever. I mean, we talk about the rule of law, which makes America unique. I see real just danger in in what is happening here. I, I laud these different counties, these different sheriffs that have said, we are not going to implement this, that we are a, a, a sanctuary county for the Second Amendment, or we are a county that honors the Constitution. But I see real danger for society and rule of law when we get into this situation. Yeah, part of it is, is uh, it, 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 it is showing we, we live in perilous times. I mean, the, the idea of uh, state or local officials refusing to carry out uh, and unconstitutional laws is, is something that, that goes back to the uh, the Thomas Jefferson's Kentucky Resolution against the, uh, the Sedition Act of 1798, which made it a crime to uh, to criticize the President of the United States. And you've had, likewise, uh, after the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was passed, a lot of state and local officials wouldn't cooperate in, in carrying out that federal law. Uh, but I, I agree it would be better if, if we could operate more by consensus so we could get laws where officials who take their oath to uphold the Constitution, then that's what their oath is, to the United States Constitution and the state Constitution. If we could have laws where officials could feel they're complying with their oath and they can carry out the the statute enacted by the legislature, that would be much better. And We had the opportunity to do that, and we could have had a good red flag law in Colorado, but the uh, the Bloomberg lobby is uh, jamming something much, much harsher and uh, more perilous on our state. 
Well, and the rule of law is something that is so important to uh, the American idea. And, and what you said is every elected official swears that they will uphold the Constitution. And that is the litmus test. That's what we need to look at when we're, we're putting in laws is does this pass the muster of the Constitution and the vision of the Declaration of Independence. So David Kopel. Um, adjunct law professor at DU, research director of Independence Institute. Thank you so much for shedding light on this House Bill 1177, the red flag bill. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you.